Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Alrighty, we're, we're continuing our series uh, this Thanksgiving Sunday on In the Beginning. Uh, and I feel, I said this last time, but I've finally got one of the stories in the book of Genesis that's just not one of the weird stories. It's just a normal story, but it's still pretty weird when you read it. Um, and this story we're, we're picking up, so last week we spoke on the Tower of Babel, and if you weren't here, uh, feel free to go on our, our, our YouTube uh, channel to watch that. Um, or you can, we have, a, we have Avant Live Church podcasting now, so uh, for those of you who like to podcast or re-listen, you can do that on Spotify or on Apple, Apple Podcast. Um, like what do they call it? I'm like, oh, of course, they came up with the word, so... Um, yeah, feel free to do that to you know what we're speaking about. But today, like I jumped ahead quite a bit. Uh, this is what we've missed between now and the this, this story of Babel. Uh, Abraham being called is one of the things that we're not talking about. And the reason for that is if you, want to talk, if you want to know more about that concept of Abraham's promise and his journey with God, we did a series um, or we did a, a sermon uh, a few months back um, and we talked about that and the promised land. So you can go and listen to that or watch that on YouTube. Um, and I just thought I'd just be repeating myself again if we went there. Uh, we, we're not talking today about the birth of Ishmael, though that is an interesting story, or the attempted uh, uh, neglect of Ishmael and what God does there. Um, we're not talking about um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we are jumping straight ahead to Isaac and Rebekah. Um, Isaac being Abraham's son. And if you don't know the story, Isaac was the, 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 one of the promises that God gave to Abraham that in his old age that he would bear the, 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 the son that would go on then to create the great nation that was a part of the promise back in chapter 12. Um, and so this morning, we, you know, Isaac has been born. His brother Ishmael, which was his half-brother, uh, he was born prior to Isaac. He's now not a part of the, the conversation anymore. Uh, for those of you who are new to the Bible, uh, essentially Abraham uh, left Ishmael and his mother in, uh, under a tree in the desert. Um, there's no context to that right now, um, but, uh, but he was just, yeah. Um, <laughs> things are different back then. Trees were good. Um, Isaac's now grown up, okay? And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 24. Uh, and I was slow at getting the scriptures to the slide team this morning, but hopefully they have them here for you to read along if you haven't got a Bible on you. But uh, we're picking up the story at Genesis chapter 4, uh, and Isaac's mother, Sarah, has passed away. Now, to give you a little bit of context, Isaac has been spoiled as a child. Uh, he is the promise that they were waiting for. You know, I look at my own kids, when we had Levi, if you, who here is an oldest child in the family, like you're the oldest. I feel sorry for you guys, hey, so much. Because your parents are just figuring it out on you, right? You know, we've got to be strict because if we don't, they're going to be like me as a teenager. Like, that's what you're thinking. And so you, you, you like, you test things on the eldest, right? And, um, and so that was Ishmael. But uh, Isaac's come along and I look at my youngest daughter, Eden, and like, I'm in trouble 24-7 in the sense that I'm like, Eden, can we please put your shoes on? And she's like, Dad, I, I don't really want to do that right now. And I'll be like, we're, we're doing it, Eden. I'm going to put your shoes on. She's like, okay, can you put your shoes on for me? Like, can you put them on for me, Dad? And I'll be like, yeah, I'll do that for you. <laughs> so put her shoes on. I don't like those shoes. I want these shoes, Dad. 
And then I find after a while, after taking like an hour of dressing my own child, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why is she dictating to me? <laughs> and so this is what's happened, right? You get to the youngest and they're just spoiled. One, because you have no more energy left, like to argue. And two, like you've got this concept in your head, well, this is the last time around the, the merry-go-round, so we may as well just love on this child. And Isaac is this child. Now, it's not like he's lazy, but think about it. Imagine being the child that is born the promise. Like you're the miracle child. You're the child that a great nation is going to birth from. You're the child that your mum and dad just, uh, not only are you their, their, their favoured son, but you're also a part of something bigger than yourself that they know about, God spoke to them about, and you are the next step, the next iteration, the next generation of that promise. And, and you can imagine what type of privilege would have come with that. Now, if you've never read the story of Abraham, he is super rich, okay? You've got to understand when he left his, his homeland, when God called him, and he, and he left Mesopotamia and he went into what would become Canaan, uh, he, he, he inherited through his obedience a huge amount of wealth and favor and blessing. He had his own army, he had his own standing uh, uh, servant uh, quarters. He was rich, uh, and, and with that type of wealth also comes attention. And so uh, people back then would have known that Isaac was the, the inheritor of all that. And so you, you could just imagine right now how much went into protecting the promise. And so we picked the story up. Sarah has died and Isaac is a mama's boy. Um, you're like, how do you get this out of, out of the scripture? Well, you'll, we'll read and you'll see just sort of his uh, behaviors. But it's more how Abraham responds that tells you that Isaac's a mama's boy. Uh, and Isaac's not dealing with his mother's death very well. And let's be honest, no one here, you shouldn't be like pumped when your mum dies, right? So um, Isaac's not excited about the concept and he's stuck in mourning. And, and we pick this story up where Abraham just gets up one day and he's like, I need to fix what's going on. And this is what he says. And I'm going to read it for you, the first part. It's to chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Abraham was now very old because he was old when he had Isaac. He's now very old. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want, to, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will get, not get a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites um, among whom I am living, but you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and whom spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give, you this, give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his, his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore the oath to him concerning this matter. Uh, we're going to pause there and just take some time to think of what's going on in this picture and what can we learn. There's, there's three or four things this morning I, I really do believe that we can learn from this story and it doesn't necessarily, they don't just flow into each other. There's three standalone things I want you to pay attention to in this story. And this, the first part here is what you partner your promise with will be dependent on how you achieve it, how you inherit it. And that whole saying, you, I let me look at your friends now and I'll, I'll, I'll read your future. This is what we're talking about here. Abraham is very, very aware that he is now deciding 
who is going to be partnered with the great promise of Israel. He's not just looking at his son, though his son is special to him and his son is, is, is his paramount priority. He's also looking at the promise. Now, Abraham's been called from God out of his father's native land. And he's saying, don't go back. Your promise should never, never retreat. Never go back because you don't have the faith to receive in the land you're in right now. This is what Abraham's saying. He's like, don't go back there. We were called out from there into here. I will inherit what God has said to me here. I don't know how many times I've spoken to people where they're like, God has told me this. And then two, three weeks later, somehow God's forgotten that he's told them this and he's telling them something completely different. Like the promise that he made initially doesn't exist anymore. Like they can stay where they are and go back and as if their life is fluid like that. And you can't have that fickle mindset that God said this one day and then God changed his mind and said it a different way or told you something different. I can honestly tell you I've never suffered from that. Mostly because I find that mindset so infuriating. Like you can ask my wife, Emma, if, if we've said we're doing it, we've got to do it. That's just this, this how I, I think it's because my dad, he told me two things when I was a kid and they sort of haunt me till today. He said, Ben, just like God said to Moses, I say to you, surely your sin will find you out. Are you lying to me? Did you steal this? Did you take that? And I'd be like, oh my goodness. And then I realize now that lots of the times that what I thought was the Holy Spirit talking to my parents was the fact that they just saw something that I didn't realize they saw. And they're just like saying something. I'm like, God's so real right now. The other thing he said was that your yes be yes and your no be no. It's, it's, it's a simple concept, but it is the one thing this world struggles with today and it struggled with it back then. Is your yes your yes and your no your no? Because God says his yes is yes and his no is no. And so when he gives you a promise and he says, I'm going I'm to fulfill this promise in your life by stretching, growing, transforming you, he says yes. But then you, you echo that sentiment in a fickle faith and say yes, but when you have to actually partner with something, you want to go back? And this is what Abraham's telling the servant. We, we have to avoid this at all cost. He even says, if she's unwilling to come back, you're released of your oath. Let's not tamper with God's. What you partner your promise with is important. Abraham has come out of that land, but he's also aware this is not, he's not, being, he's not being racist here. He's not like, oh, I don't like the Canaanites. He's actually, this is less about nationality or ethnicity. This is about spirituality. His issue with the Canaanites is that they are a wicked people when it comes to God. And we're going to read about that further. But... He doesn't like their posture towards God. So he won't partner his promise, his covenant that God's given him with something that in his mind is wicked. So he says, go back to where my people are. Why? Because Abraham wasn't just called out because he's this standout guy. He was called out because he was the best of a nation that was seen as a good nation in front of God. His father was a godly man. Now, when we say godly, we don't mean that they're worshipping the God that we worship today, but they were moral. They had good morals, they had good ethics, they had good principles. And God found Abraham in that, that, that type of harvest, that type of atmosphere. And he says, I'm going to call you out of that. So he's going, well, if God's called me out of this, then there's got to be an appropriate person to partner the promise with, my son with, back from where I have come from. 
In your own life, can I ask you, how do you partner your promises? Now, we always, you know, I've, I've been in plenty of um, sermons where we talk about Isaac and Rebecca in a marriage context, and people will speak constantly about how you make sure you partner yourself well in marriage. And it is a good concept, so let's just go there for a little bit, okay? How do you know you've partnered with the right person? I've heard plenty of times this whole, con- this whole thought, do not be unequally yoked. And, and, and we're going to read about this because if you haven't heard it, we're going we're gonna to teach you a little bit today about it. But let me read it to you. It's 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 18. It says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and the idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I'll bear their God, oh, sorry, be their God, and, I will, I'll be, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out, from the, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, often this is talked about, well, you shouldn't couple yourself, you shouldn't marry, you shouldn't be in a relationship with a non-Christian. And, and to a degree, you can put that application to what Paul is saying here as the apostle. But more importantly, he's saying, what are you partnering with? That concept of do not yoke yourself is that there is two oxen, and you use the yoke, and they must use their, their collective unified energy to pull the plow. It's, we all know this. This is not like news to you. But it says, do not be unequally yoked. When I think about my marriage to Emma, when I think about what has made our marriage actually su- uh, successful and efficient and productive, is that when we, when we were dating or even when we were engaged, we had the conversation, are we yoked in the right direction? Are we heading the same way? Has God got the same calling on our life? Are we passionate about this? Is God unifying us? When he says a man will leave his mother and father and become one flesh with his wife, it's not just that, we've talked about this, it's not just, you know, when you're young, you're like, yes, yeah, sex, come on. Leave my mum and dad and then just have sex with my wife, one flesh. It's not what he's saying. He's saying one flesh is one mind, one nature, unified, oneness. And he says, in that, I will be God. So when he's talking about unequally yoked here, he's, the question is this, is the person you're partnering with in your marriage and if you don't believe that your marriage is a part of your promise, then we've got to have further conversation. Your future marriage, maybe, is a part of your promise and where you're going. If that partner with you doesn't share the same faith, doesn't share a common mission with you, you're going to struggle because that unequal yoked behavior will lead. What if one ox goes one way and the one goes the other way? The yoke will break and then you'll just spend your whole time trying to bring yourself together again. I know this is hard conversation, but Abraham understands this more than anyone. He loves his wife. His wife has now passed away. He's in mourning and he realizes, I need to partner the promise of my son with somebody who's going to help carry a nation. Now, I get it. The Bible has a lot of like masculine like viewpoints on things. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about Isaac or Abraham and how the start of the, the nation of Israel began. But Rebecca played just an important part in this story. Because what we don't see is her upbringing, what we don't see is what God was saying in her life, and what we don't see is that it took a step of faith for her to partner with someone else's promise and call it her own. What you partner with will determine what you inherit in your promise. So young people this morning, 
You can try, and I've had conversations with lots of you, and I've had conversations with thousands of young people over the year about this whole idea of trying to trick, you, you try to trick yourself or you try to find someone who's going to give you counsel that you agree with. That then somehow justifies your bad partnership in things with life. And the Bible says you partner with sin, what do you get? You get death. That's all he says. Simple. And so we're like, we're all going to die one day, Pastor Ben. No, what he's saying is, okay, you're looking at pornography, your relationships will die. Partner with sin, it's going to die. You're stealing money. At some point, it will find you out and sin will cause death to permeate through your life. You're lying, you're gossiping, you're a hypocrite. I know we're all these things and we're saved from it, but the Bible says we are born infants into Christ but must mature fully into Him. Therefore, there has to be a changing process in that. What do you partner with this morning? That whole idea with Pastor Ben, you know what, I'm just going to flirt to convert. What's weird, it's actually happened. I know I get it and I understand it. But there's a difference between, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I, I haven't sold out to that whole, under, that whole like, you've got to only date non-Christians, or you only date Christians. I'm not actually, I don't, I don't buy into that. But what I do want to know when I talk, in, talk to a young person in particular is why are you dating them? Like what is, what is going on here? Is there an equal yoking in your spirit? Because I can't, in good faith, tell you up on stage that I haven't seen amazing people who know Jesus that know Jesus because somebody loved Jesus and dated them. Therefore, out of, out of sheer like, experience of watching people go through this, God obviously uses those relationships, which means it's less about that. Think about this. I know everyone, there's like some old school Christians out there might be going, Pastor Ben, you're going into some scary territory right now. <laughs> this is not me saying just go, go date whoever you want. This is actually me saying it's more important than just looking if they're Christian or not. Because you can marry a Christian who becomes non-Christian. And, I've, and I, this is not uncommon, where you marry someone you thought you knew or you didn't take time to properly seek God and you partnered your promise with them and then years into it, they, you find out they're not who they are. They don't love the Lord the way you love the Lord, but they said they did. So at the, at the end of the day, it's actually not about is there, are they Christian or not? It's are you listening to God or not? Is, is the promise that God's put on your life, are you partnering with people well maybe it's a business promise if you're a business person here can i honestly tell you god's given you a promise you've got to be careful who you partner that promise with it's just when jesus came to earth the bible says that he didn't come to remove the law he came to fulfill it and i don't know if you've ever understood this but when you read the ten commandments they, they, they're umbrella statements so jesus didn't you know god when he wrote them he didn't say thou shall not stab somebody to death. Well, thou shall not, you know, throw someone off the... He said, thou shall not murder. Why? Because he's, he's holistic, right? He's, he made umbrella principles to deal with this. And then when Jesus came, it says he fulfills this law, he doesn't remove it, and all of a sudden where it's, thou shall not commit adultery, Jesus says, even if you look at a woman and lust after her, but you don't actually commit the physical act, you've committed it in your heart, therefore you've done it. He doesn't make it easier. What he does say is that this has always been about your heart condition, not the legalism you're trying to bring into the situation. And so this morning, what do you partner with? He's saying, don't make this a legalistic thing. What is your spirit partnering with? Because for Abraham, 
the woman that was going to marry Isaac not only had to love Isaac, but had to carry a nation with him. Therefore, she had to have the faith that Abraham had. That is, that is mind-blowing to me. It makes Isaac look like he's got, he's got the easy run. The second point is this, and we're going to read on. It says this in Genesis 24, 12, 26. This is the servant. So the servant, the head of the household after Abraham, he's left and he makes this statement to God. He says, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. It's a good prayer. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Also a good prayer. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. He's arrived in the nation where Abraham's come from. He says, may it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with a, a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of, of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful and a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. And the servant hurried from where he was to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, quick, uh, she said and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I will draw water from the, for the camels too until they have had enough drink. So she quickly emptied the jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not God had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, this would have taken some time, by the way, the man took a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels and then said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room um, in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered, I'm the daughter of Bethuel the son of Milcah, bored to Nahor, and she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down, worshipped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. I know that was a long piece. This is a long chapter, actually. But my next point is this. God's promises carry God's provision. That is fundamental for your spirit to understand this morning. If God has given you a promise, he then has given you provision for it. So when you pray, how do you pray now? Do you pray from a place of fear or doubt? Then you haven't fully understood the promise. And I know this sounds theoretical and you're like, well, Ben, that's all great. But in reality, we, we, are, we are plagued with these fears, these anxieties, yeah, and it's true. But the Bible also says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre uh, present your request to God. Be anxious for nothing. If God has given you a promise this morning, He's given you provision. Now, this is the greatest litmus test you can have in your faith. Because if you think God's given you a promise, but you've spent decades without provision for it, what's the problem? Is it the promise? Or is it maybe the way you perceived it? Or maybe you determined the promise? Or maybe you're telling God how it is? Because if God's in it, He'll give it. He'll give it to you. He'll provide it. Maybe not ways you wish. Like, trust me, I've been there. I remember uh, when we arrived... 
in, um, in Canada, in Vancouver, two and a half years ago, uh, we, at my initial visa that I was coming in on, um, it fell through. And so I remember my lawyer, like a week out from arriving, she was like, Ben, and she's a great lawyer, so she's giving me great advice here. She's like, Ben, you should wait until your, your visa is reactivated. Or if you arrive, you're coming under a tourist visa. And I said to her, I said, everything's paid for. Everything is, is, is all the tickets are bought. We don't have the money to change it. Uh, and furthermore, God's called us. He's given us this date. We're coming. And now she's a Christian lady. So part of her is like, okay, come, let's see what happens. She also told me, she's like, if you arrive and the boxes that you had shipped under your old visa arrive, uh, and you don't have your visa in time after they clear quarantine and customs, they will be given to the government to auction off, and you'll be expelled from the country for importing things with the inappropriate visa. I was like, that's a lot to take in. I remember landing, and we landed with so much faith. We we're like, God's going to give us the right visa. And, and then when we landed, we realized without your, with the visa that I needed, I couldn't get my social security number, which means no one's going to rent you their house, right? Unless they take a step of faith or they take on the risk themselves. You can't really get your kids into school without, you, you can't. You need that number to get them in. Especially as an international, your, your kids are not allowed to study unless they have a visa that allows them to study at school. We couldn't get vehicles. We couldn't, we couldn't get an income. And I remember thinking to my God, Lord, right now, we just need you to give me the visa. Now, I'm going to give you a, like a flashback to a prayer I had before all this came into my life. God said, Ben, what do you want? I said, God, I just want a few months of rest when I arrive. And he's like, I'll give that to you. That's a promise. And I arrived and we had this visa issue. And I, I tell you now, if God's in the promise, he's in the provision. And we waited and we prayed and I remember we were fasting and then the boxes arrived. And I still hadn't had my visa. And I'm like, man, they're just going to impound this, these boxes. They're going to sell photos of a chubby brown kid. I don't know who's going to buy it. Because they were just sentimental things, right? They weren't like expenses. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a weird auction for people. <laughs> and, and, and we're praying, we're fasting, and it's not coming, and I'm stressing out. And I'm carrying the, the weight of my stress and my anxiety. And, I, and, and from a physical like, level, from a human condition level, I had every right to be stressed and anxious. You know, because God had spoken to me clearly, and I know He's in the, in, and He's going to provide. And there was a song going around. We'd go from one church to the other, just meeting pastors and, and, and beginning to meet the community of Vancouver, the lower mainland. And there was a song that was vogue two years ago. You know, He's in the waiting and you get these like worship leaders in their skinny jeans and their longest, shorter, unclean hair, scruffy look, and just playing, you know, he's in the waiting, take, what does it take, courage, my heart? He's in the waiting, and I'm looking, and I'm like, you're singing about waiting in line at Starbucks. <laughs> you don't know what faith is. They're going to sell my boxes. I'm going to get deported before the vision has even started. I'm just getting, fr like, like putting my stress and anxiety, I'm like, shut up in the waiting. <laughs> what a bunch of baloney. And I just remember that season of stretching and, and I remember the, <laughs> the, like, the company that's got our boxes calls me. It's like, hey, you really need to sign these out. And I'm like, okay. 
I just need to take a step of faith here. I'm like, what's the furthest date possible that you can hold on to this before they get impounded? And they give me this date on July 18th. And I was like, all right, that gives me like three weeks to figure something out. Like, then I start operating in my own strength, right? And I've forgotten the promise and the provision. And I start going, how can I manipulate this situation to save my boxes? And the boxes had like other, our team's other sentimental stuff too. So it's not just my stuff that's up for grabs. Like everyone's like, anything you thought was important in your life, it's about to go. And uh, I was like, well, how can I like manipulate this situation right now to get what I want? Instead of just saying, God, you're the God of my provision. God, you're the God of this promise that you've given me. And I wait on you. And my heart is at peace and my spirit is calm knowing that you're going to provide. Honestly, I didn't do that. <laughs> I was like, how can I like, manipulate this? And, and I just couldn't. It was one of those moments. There's enough. When it comes to immigration, there's not much you can do without it being illegal. And so I was like, we're, we're just cooked. And, and we, we did start, we were praying and fasting, and then I had to change my disposition from fear to faith. And that took me about 48 hours after weeks of stressing to do that. And, and I, I remember the day, um, it was July 17th, and we have like 48 hours before our boxes get impounded and still nothing. And I'm at home with Mark. I don't know why you're at home, Mark. <laughs> and we're just sitting there, and this email comes through. And, and I'm like, what's this email say? And it's like, your visa's been approved. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. But I still have to leave the country and get back in within 48 hours to sign for my boxes. I remember just going to the lawyer. The lawyer's like, here's all your documents. She's like, maybe wait a few days. Then go. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Literally hopped in the car with Mark and we just drove to the border. We're like, don't listen to her now. It's too late. And uh, we went to Point Roberts, crossed over. I kid you not, I got my visa 9 a.m. the morning our boxes had to be signed out. If we don't serve the God of provision, who's also the God of the 11th hour, I don't know who we serve. Because, because in that moment, there was nothing I could do to change the situation. And I remember when the boxes came in, it was like Christmas, right? <laughs> Just thinking, Jesus, look at me as a fat kid and look at that. That's so awesome. What is God promising you right now and I remember God saying to me, I'm like, God, I thank you, you've provided. And he said, I gave you two, it took two months for this to happen. He said, I gave you two months of rest and you stressed the whole time. And I was like, uh. And I literally, I just felt like God say, that's on you. I provided the promise and the provision and you ruined it with your lack of faith. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation... I love the fact he makes this prayer. He says, God, it needs to meet two requirements. One, she needs to draw water for me and my camels, so I know it's her. But, it, but two, he doesn't forget the initial mandate. It has to be a relative. In your own life, when God gives you a promise, don't just take the initial requirement, move forward, make a second requirement, see the second fulfilled, and never remember the first. That's not how it works. If you're praying for provision, make sure you don't forget what you're praying about. Make sure you know what your mandate is in the heavenlies. The Bible says whatever we loose here on earth, loose in heaven, we have authority now. 
You've got to remember what you're praying for. You've got to remember what you're asking God for. You've got to remember the promise on your life. You've got to remember what the requirements are. I know we live in the age of grace. And we're like, grace for this, grace for that. And I always say to people, grace is awesome for salvation, but obedience is what you want if you need authority in your life. If you want power in your life, don't forget your promises. Don't forget the requirements. And he doesn't. He just says, hey, God, if you're in the promise, you're in the provision. And he thanks him. He says, you're still the God that's faithful to my master. You still love the promise you've given him. You're still providing for that promise and you've provided today. The, set, the third point I want to talk about, and this is what I would consider the most important point from this story. In Genesis 24, 19 to 24, it says this, after she had given him drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. I, I know we don't often think about how much water it takes to, to quench the thirst of a camel, but it's up to anywhere between 200 and 300 gallons after a camel has done a trip through the desert like their camels had. And the Bible says there was 10 camels. So even at the, 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 the smaller end of 200 gallons, this woman, Rebecca, pulled 2,000 gallons of water in a jar. That's incredible. I probably couldn't even draw one jar through the trough. She, she watered and she, she met the thirst of all the camels. This is what I find interesting, right? And I look at the Bible this way. She doesn't understand it in the moment. She, she is... She is following what is a principal customary obligation, which is, we don't have it as much these days, but it is very common in the Middle East and was super common then, and that is your character was highly judged on your hospitality towards strangers. And so she's fulfilling a principle to be hospitable to a stranger. What she didn't realize, she was watering camels that would become her inheritance, that would become her property, that were hers. She didn't realize she was serving an unseen promise on her life in your own life how many times have you been hospitable to the strange things or the weird things or the things that make you feel uncomfortable knowing that you could be serving an unseen promise in your life you could be serving the camels that are to become yours and when you're drawing you know, gallon after gallon, getting upset and annoyed and asking God, this is stupid. I got called for better things. Don't you know what I can do? And you're having a bad attitude, not realizing that God's just saying, is your character ready for your calling? Is your character ready to inherit my promise for you? Because what I find instantly is Rebecca, unlike her, her, her to-be husband, knows how to work a bit. She knows how to bring character to the table. And I'm not saying Isaac didn't have a good character. What I'm saying is, for a woman, she was outstanding. God had provided his nation to be an outstanding mother in Rebecca. That she could pull at most, or at least, should I say, 2,000 gallons of water without cracking a sweat. Imagine being the, the, the servant. He watched the whole time. I would have been amazed. I would be like, come on, this is unbelievable. Serving the unseen promises in your life. Let's, let's, let's make this even more simple and ask the worship team to come. What God is going to ask you to do to achieve the promises he's given to you is way outside your comfort zone. 
It's at, so, and when I say comfort, I don't mean I pass the band, I don't like standing on stage and talking to people in public spaces. I mean outside your comfort zone when it comes to having to give up or serve in an area in your life you don't feel pumped about, doesn't get you excited. We live in the age of feelings, right? Oh, I want, it has to make me feel good. Oh, let's be honest. Do you think Rebecca felt good about 3,000 gallons of water around stinky camels? Do you think she felt good about that? What drove her to fulfill that was her principled character, not her feelings. I am, I am deeply afraid for the generations that are coming who think that their feelings are the paramount part of their life. Their feelings aren't the paramount part. Your feelings will deceive you. The Bible says that. You should not view your life through your feelings. You should guide your life through godly principle. I do not feel like saying nice things in every situation or, or showing grace in every situation. But the Bible says that is a mandate that I must keep as a follower of Jesus. doesn't mean I hide from the truth. It means I have to put a bit of work in expressing that truth through grace. You can ask Emma. This is one of my biggest struggles. I'm like, shoot first, ask questions later. Go first, then ask for permission. Don't ask for... You'll ask for forgiveness over permission. That's always been my personality type. But when Jesus moves into your life, he begins to shift this and change this and stirs a better person in you, a better character in you. And so in that character, you, cannot, you can't hide behind, well, there's grace for this and grace for that. You can apply it in your life to survive, but to thrive, you've got to allow God in that grace to begin to stretch and fortify and make you a person of character. So when you're, the Bible says, and this is what I find interesting in Hebrews 13 too, it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who you have served and you have done this, have done it entertaining angels without realizing. You've served at angels without realizing. This ties into that whole concept of hospitality. You don't know what you're serving. You don't know why you're serving it but you're doing it from a godly principle. And the Bible says, one, you're probably serving your calling and you're probably investing into your promise and the inheritance. But two, you could be entertaining divine moments in your life without even realizing it because you are hospitable to a stranger. Because you didn't flee from hard situations. I remember when I was, uh, before I met Emma, I got fired from my job. Um, it wasn't a great situation. Um, I was young. I was, you know, I was like a bull in a china shop. I didn't know what I was doing, just breaking things in my life. And um, I was working at a, you know, a rite of passage if you're Indian is to work at a petrol station, right? And so either that or drive a taxi. So I picked the petrol station. And um, I just remember one morning just losing it and just getting on a full-on fight with my co-worker. Like, we destroyed so many liters of milk, it wasn't funny. It's all on camera, and I remember the manager coming in. There were, like, truck drivers there just cheering us on. Full-on punch-up, right? And I just remember leaving there and um, getting a job, ironically, at a first aid company. Um, and I didn't like that job either. You know, it, it didn't make me feel like I was doing what I wanted to do, but I needed money, so I did it. And, and I remember when I met Emma... I was like, 
my boss at the first aid shop was weird, so I'm like, I'm going to quit. And I quit, and then Emma's like, you need to meet my parents if you want to date me. And I was like, fine, that's cool, we can do that. And I remember calling Emma up that night and going, oh, should I dress up for this? And she's like, no, not really, mum's mom's not really dressed up. She's in just in her like, casual wear. She's wearing like a, like a, a house coat, she's fine. And in my spirit, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, lies. You dress up, Ben. You do good. And so I dressed up and I went in there. And I, when I turned up, Emma's like, thank goodness you dressed up. Like, mum, five minutes ago, went into her room and she's like, <laughs> she's like. <laughs> and I remember two questions they asked me that just stick into my head. So her dad goes, Ben, I, you know, they dismissed everyone else from the dinner tables except for Emma and I. I'm like, this is full on. And her dad's like, all right, Ben, I need to ask you some questions. Okay, what do you think about sex? And I remember in my head going, how often do I think about it? Or like, <laughs> I, was, I was 21 at the time, right? And um, I just remember, I'm like, don't put yourself in a position that you can't honor. And so I, I think I answered that one well. The second question is, what do you do for a job? And I literally had to say, I'm unemployed as of yesterday. And, and I think back now and I look at that and it led me to getting a job. And I remember I just got desperate. I was like, God, I need to get a job. And he said, I got this job at a flower farm, a horticulture farm. They taught me to be a horticulturalist. And if you've never worked at like a, a farm like this, it is hard work and weird, right? Because there's all these beautiful flowers, but you're working and you're sweaty and it's like they're in greenhouses. So it's like 50 degrees Celsius and it's just nonstop. And I'm thinking to myself, where is my calling in this? Well, how have I fallen so far then I'm, I'm watering chrysanthemums for Mother's Day. <laughs> Wasn't I called? To, God, you have promises and vision for my life. You said you've got good plans. I'm sweating it out. And I worked there for months after month, and it was just tiresome. But I remained faithful in it because I knew God was teaching me something. Then a job came up, and I kid you not, to become a youth worker, get all the training. And, and it was an amazing job. And I, was so, I thought I was unqualified, but I applied anyway. And this is the weird thing. If you don't know this about me, I'm a fully trained percussion, uh, percussionist. I, I, all my high school years was trained in a, a, an orchestra, right? So percussion was my thing. And, and I went and applied for this job. This is the weirdest thing, right? They're looking for somebody who has horticultural experience and plays the drums to run a youth program. I'm like, how dumb is that? <laughs> what I didn't realize is that I was... In my, in my brokenness that led to me being taught just to work the hard job, to do the hard time. God was actually allowing me to serve my purpose, invest into my future in ways I didn't understand. And I remember I got given the job and I'm never the first person to get offered the job. There's always someone before me. It's just how I roll. So to tell you the truth, there was probably another lead pastor outside of Emma and I that was asked to do this job but said no. That's just what my calling is. I'm always like second or third down the line. It keeps me humble. And so I wasn't the first person asked, but I got in there and they said, look, the guy, first guy we wanted to give the job to, uh, he was indigenous and therefore qualified for salary grants and we went with him, but he never responded. So the job's yours. And I was like, you beaut. And I worked there for like the first three, four months and then they, they have a staff meeting. I remember this is how good God is. They're like, hey, do you know why the guy didn't respond? I was like, why is that? We had his email wrong. They were sending 
And then you're all like, that's, well, that's pretty dodgy. Like God would give you that on the back of the email. But they said, this is the weird thing, Ben. That guy that we were going to hire has just been convicted of molesting children. Think about that. That they got the email wrong. They couldn't hire him. I provided all the things they needed. They hired me. And not only am I in my purpose, but the kids are protected. Because if he was working there, what could have happened to the kids that are already abused and hurting? God is working in the unseen parts of your promise. So you need to co-labor with him in the unseen parts of your promise. What do those camels look like for you this morning? Those jobs that you don't want to do, those people you have to catch up with, those things you've got to actually deal with in your life right now. Not everything's about fun and games. My dad, I used to hate it. We'd come home from uh, uh, holidays and like five minutes from the house, he's like, the holidays are all over. It's time for work, work, work. (laughs) And he would say it with an Indian accent and I'd be like, oh, dad, come on. Let us just enjoy going to sleep one last night. We know it's over. Don't point out the obvious. No one likes that guy. Holidays are all over. Got to work, work, work. I'm like, oh my goodness. You could write a song, Dad. But it's true. Sometimes we, just, we want to live in a permanent state of holidaying when we really should understand that the promise takes work. The promise takes investment, takes sacrifice and obedience. Would you stand with me this morning? There is so much we could pull from Isaac and Rebecca, and I'm going to give you a quick snippet of what happens. After she's done all that she's done, and she fulfills the requirements that the servant was looking for, knowing that she is the promise of God, he then talks to her father and her brother and tells them the story, and they release her. And then the Bible says that on the day she was meant to leave, they're like, how about we give her 10 days with the family? Now, at no point has anyone asked her if she wants to come. They're just doing the dealing for her, right? It's culturally what would happen. But when, when the servant of Abraham goes, no, you can't stop me from going. You have to release me. There's a promise that I need to fulfill. I'm not going to wait 10 days. Weirdly enough, her family say, well, let's bring her into the conversation and see what she wants then, which they've never wanted before. All of a sudden, they bring her in. And this is what I find amazing. They tell her everything that's laid before her And she responds in faith. If that's my promise, I'll go. And she leaves. And I look at that and I go, and she she sees her husband in the field. Actually, it's a beautiful story of love. One of the best parts of Isaac and Rebecca, the Bible talks of their deep love for each other. And she sees him and the Bible says she views him as her promise. And out of them, they, they, they grow a great nation of Israel because she had the same faith as her father-in-law did. The same faith that Abraham, the Bible says his faith is accounted to him as righteousness. She carried the same level of faith to leave her father and her brother in a moment's notice to pursue the promise to inherit what God had for her in her life. Next week we start, we're, we're continuing this. Actually, we have our very own Joel Hoppy Hopner bringing the sermon next Sunday. Am I right on that? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah he is. Good, I didn't get that wrong. And he's going to be speaking about Jacob and Esau, which is a great story. But this morning, that that whole concept of coming together, are you, honestly, are you, what are you partnering your promises with? 
Are you praying with faithfulness knowing that the provision that God's given you is found in your promise? And thirdly, are you serving the unseen areas of the promise in your life, knowing that God is at work constantly? And so as we go back into worship this morning, as we give God five more minutes of our time, as we just declare the goodness in His, His name over our life, His provision, His promise, this morning, would you start to go, God, Lord, would you show me where I've partnered incorrectly, God? Would you, would you instill with me the faith to see more of provision in the promises you've given me? And God, right now, out of obedience, here's my hands and feet. I will serve any part that you've called me to serve, the unseen, the uncomfortable, the ones that don't make me feel great, or the, the ones that make me have to work harder than I want. God, I'm here right now. I'm going to give you it all. Church, can we do that this morning? Yeah, let's do that. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.